You're listening to a DM podcast. G'day, pod lovers, podcasters, podlings, and welcome to Behind the Podcast, the podcast that opens the studio doors and takes a peek behind the microphone to tell you, the listener, the producer, the creator, the aficionado, what's happening in the podverse. I'm Jules, and with me, as always, is Stocks. Y'all ready for this? In this week's episode, hello and goodbye to the podcast awards. Take a seat in Tech Corner. Room for growth in the land down under, and Pushkin, a reflection from the inside. All right, Stocks, good to see you, mate. How are you doing? Very good, good, very well. Nice to see you in. Is that a Santa hat? I actually have been asked this numerous amounts of time, more times than I care to mention, but I, if you look closely, it's a East's uh, Rooster's beanie. So, uh, it's not red. I don't know why so many people think this is a Santa hat. But well, here we go. I'm walking around like the new Santa in town here, over here in Scotland. Well, maybe they just think you're a clown. Because uh, they don't, don't like Santa the roosters. A clown, is he? I think Santa is someone who brings joy to many, yeah. many people around the world. So, maybe yeah. that's what they're thinking when they see me. Someone who brings joy. Roosters fans are clowns, is what I'm saying. <laughs> at any rate, yeah. speaking of clowns, how'd you go at the podcast awards? Are you all over your hangovers now? Yeah, we got clowned at the podcast awards. Um, <laughs> it's the last one we're going to. Um, yeah. It's yeah. The last one we're entering. Yeah. Yeah. It's time for a shake up in that place. And it's not that we didn't win. We actually did win. Um, but yeah, I think it's been taken over by an organization called Haymarket Media, which is a UK based company. They also ran the Irish podcast awards in the same night which looked identical but I think they've just uh, there needs to be I'm not going to go in too deep on why I think Haymarket's really killed the podcast awards I think uh-huh. it's it's more of a someone needs to find a way and we've talked about this before what is going to work as a podcast award and I don't know what it is but it's got to be something that gets the big shows that want to show up yeah. and it's also got to be something that captures the independent the J-Oys of the world yep Yep, winner on the night. He yeah. was a winner. But you want to get those people um, to come along and feel included. But yeah. just to give you an idea, that a ticket for the night was $280, uh-huh. which is a over 350% increase on previous times. Like this isn't the Real Estate Awards. This is no. Podcast Awards. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, we rolled eight deep, which is a lot of money. Um, there was pre-drinks with free drinks going around in the hotel before. Yeah. Um, you had to Shanghai someone. You had to be quite aggressive to get a drink because yeah. um, they just bring them around on the table. And then we went in for an hour and a half session, which uh, basically was dry and everyone just sat um, sat in sort of bank, not even banquet chairs. It was like a, if you go to a conference, it was, it was kind of like that. We're just in a banquet room. Uh, flat seating, as in there's no amphitheater, you know, there's no verticality to it at all. Mm. And so hopefully you don't sit in front of someone tall or behind <laughs> someone tall. To anyone who gets stuck behind me would just be shit out of luck. That's exactly right. Um, and that was dry. They didn't even have water. Um, and everyone sat in there for an hour and a half and um, no one was able to give speeches. So the one thing it did do was it rolled the awards on pretty quick, which is good because podcast awards tend to be quite slow. Yeah. At the same time, it's an industry where people talk for a living. Yeah. And no one got to talk. So that, that kind of took the air out of it. But then afterwards was sort of post drinks and everyone, again, you're trying to Shanghai drink if you can. So it just didn't feel like, it feels like this business that these guys at Haymarket have taken over the podcast awards for a database, a data set. Uh-huh. 
um, and to make money off events and not really to celebrate podcasting, which is fine. It's a business decision, but I think something needs to... I know iHeart's um, sponsorship of the event ends this year and I know there's a lot of rumblings around from other people that there's going to be an alternative Australian-owned type of event next year. Awards. Yeah, it's a shame to hear that it's kind of. I've been to a couple in in the past, and you know sometimes they do seem to drag on a little bit. But I think it always had the kind of feel of a bit of community there, and people certainly could get up and give a speech. And you know, it's their time to shine, right? Like someone's won something. It's in an industry that doesn't really get recognised too much. It's, you know, as far as like TV, cinema, you know, radio, it's it's below all of those really in recognition. Um, so it's nice to have something where someone gets to say thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to the people who helped bring a show together rather than just here's your thing, now piss off. Yeah, and anyone thinking of starting a podcast awards, um, even the the show that I just ran you through was still fantastic in terms of you, yeah. everyone got to get around each other. The time before and the time after the actual award portion of the show was incredible mm. because it's all these people who do what we're doing right now, sitting in little dark rooms, talking to people, talking to an audience, all getting together. And so that's a fantastic spirit and everyone loves that. So if, if you're just bringing people together, it's going to yeah. be a winner. Just don't charge that much money and make it a bit more of a um, – yeah, just make it more of an award ceremony. Just make it more authentic to um, – podcasting that being said look it was a lot a lot of fun yeah well speaking yeah of the speaking awards. of awards i said i wouldn't <laughs> run them over and just ran them over look we 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 won best true crime podcast for the inside the tribe podcast about the 12 tribes now you yeah. were there when this journey began so when we yeah. won the best podcast network three years ago the speech i gave was hey if you've got a podcast idea hit me up afterwards iconic speech <laughs> camille bianchi hit me up at the bar afterwards and said i've just won for the nurse i just won the best true crime podcast i want to do my next podcast with you let's go so we chatted for yeah. the next two three months and we threw around a couple ideas that just didn't work and then we landed on the 12 tribes uh, tim elliott fantastic investigative journalist for fairfax had written a definitive article about 12 tribes and we got together with him and over the next seven, eight months, we developed this show. Um, mm. This is the first show we funded, like we fully funded. Mm. We, we, mm-hmm. we flew Camille over to the US to infiltrate the tribe, which we were all very worried about. She had to go dark for 10, 12 days in terms of be offline. She, when she got back, she told us she was pregnant at the time. <laughs> Which she said, oh, well, you wouldn't have let me do it. It's like, no, no, um, I don't no. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, just to be clear to everyone, it wasn't, it wasn't a result of being at the No. Tribes. So the whole journey was incredible. And to have that win as best true crime podcast was really gratifying for us. We're right at the stage now where we're developing it to become a documentary. So this win just helps. Uh, yeah. gives us more leverage in those discussions we are having with uh, development companies for that. On a personal note, um, working with Tim and Camille has been an incredible privilege to work with. Camille is such an incredible podcaster already uh, and Tim is just an incredible writer and investigative journalist. And for Zanon, my business partner and head of production and I, from, it was very gratifying for us because we built DM podcast primarily. It was him and I doing the development work. And as you scale out, and this will be something we'll probably get to later with Pushkin Industries, but you, to scale out, you have to give up certain roles and employ people to do certain mm. roles. And we've had to step away from the production side of the business a lot, at least I have in particular, over the last uh, couple of years as we've 
put together a fantastic team of producers and trying to build something that can scale out. And so, but this was one um, partly because we invested in it um, that Zanon and I were very hands on on, and to have have it be rewarded with you know recognised and awarded, it, it's just good to know you still. Got got a bit of game. I can still play in yeah. that development space, even though it's a muscle we don't get to flex very often. We were really thrilled, and everyone put in a lot of effort to it. And um, yeah, it's just a fantastic, fantastic feeling. Well, I was going to say, I mean, in a genre like true crime, I mean, it's one of the the most uh, predominant genres for podcasting. And so, certainly, anytime you're winning an award in that kind of a category, it speaks volumes to the show. So, yeah, terrific work. Yeah, just a great team, and congratulations to everyone involved. Any other kind of highlights? The greatest name of a podcast that I didn't know existed, The Lawyer, The Sniper, and The New South Wales Police. Yes. Which also won Podcast of the Year. It was, um, it was nominated for several things. It's just such a cool name. I haven't had time to listen to it yet, but I really want to go listen to this. Another notable moment was um, Irrational Fear, Dan Illich and Lewis Hobber winning Best Comedy Podcast yeah. fourth year in a row, which is great. Yeah. Um, you know, friends of the show. Uh, any, any other kind of big stories of the night or any kind of omissions or anything else? Uh, not really. Look, congratulations to SBS who won Best Network uh, over us and brilliant. Well done. They make fantastic work and it's a government department doing that as well. So they're really a lot of the stuff they do is around the accessibility as well, which is really important. And audio is really yeah. opening up accessibility for a lot of people in terms of languages, but also people with vision impairments. So fantastic work and great that they were acknowledged. And of course, Jay Oi with uh, You've Been Told a Lie. We're, yeah. we're working with him. Model slash podcaster. Model slash podcaster. We're working on something with him right now, which we're very excited about. Been following this podcast since its inception. Congratulations to Jay. What a fantastic talent. And congratulations to all the winners on the night and anyone who's nominated for that matter as well. It's, it's, it's good stuff. What do we want to go to next, Docs? Let's talk a bit, little bit about some tech that's out there in the world, really. TikTok has launched new creative cards. So what this aims to do is provide inspiration for their content creators, mainly around people who are creating videos, just you know the, the short little TikTok videos you, you're used to seeing. It's not focused around podcasts by any means, but this is a way that people can go on, flick through a few of these cards, see some data-backed ideas for content. So if you want to do something about you know whatever's in the world of finance or cost of living or whatever these kind of topics are, it'll say you know there's X amount of people listening to it. They're in this demographic. Does that kind of match up with you? So there's some interesting thoughts if you are an independent content creator there, um, podcasters included. Also, if you're a brand, it's interesting to see around the services that you're providing, what kind of an audience and, and what topics they're interested in, in following might help you create some branded content. There's an email sign up to Gateway this the whole thing so you can get in and, and get there. At the moment, there's... I think there's around 100 of these, so they're not like never-ending. They're a finite source, and how often they get refreshed, I'm not too sure about yet. But it's an interesting little initiative and something to help you know creators create. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Two notes I've got on TikTok is one: um, the great cricketer who we work with, they're running a um, TikTok's running a big promotional campaign over the next month, and they're going to feature great cricketer podcast content in what they're promoting um, and their creative stuff they're promoting. So it's interesting that they're recognizing podcasts as creators. I think if you're looking at monetizing your podcast and you're only looking at it in terms of a radio network and you're only looking at it in terms of um, ads on your podcast, then you're missing out as much as the podcast advertising market is growing. Um, the Australian influencer marketing industry in, is on pace to grow at 15.8% this year and it's a far bigger number than the podcast number 
in terms of how much uh, people are spending. It was a $266 million market in 2022, and then it's grown 15.8% this year. So that's bigger than a podcast market um, by about three times. Uh, and the largest influencer marketing channel in Australia is content providers. So um, content providers are podcasters. So if you're just looking at things in terms of radio ads, you're missing out on a massive chunk of audience, uh, revenue, and growth. I like it. The next little item I want to talk about or, or uh, platform is called Audia. So this is a business that's been around, and from what I can gather, they started basically stripping ads from FM and AM radio. So it's operating in the States, I think is the main market there. And this works on a bit of a delay so that when you want to you know, subscribe to their service, you're going to pay a monthly fee. You don't need to listen to radio ads, which you know, is not a bad idea. Really? Right. So, so, so it's a it's a consumer facing service. Yeah, that's right. I get their app or their feed, and basically, there's shows that would be ad free there. Yeah, and their tech is that they run the streams through their system, and it recognizes any ad reads and just strips that out, so that you get it just coming completely just the the regular programming. So, podcast wise, this is sort of like ad blockers on a web browser, or something like an ad blocker which will block ads on YouTube. Yeah, exactly right. So they've launched this podcasting version of it is the latest to do it, um, and it's exactly that. It's an ad blocker. They're going to pull out, you know, any if you're listening on Spotify, you'd be used to hearing all of the dynamically inserted ads that they put in, but also uh, host reads. They're just going to strip that all out and then you're just going to get the ad-free experience. Interesting. So, I mean, if you're still baking in an ad into your content, it probably won't be able to pull that out from the sounds of it. Yeah, it depends on how much you stop and focus on the ad, I guess. Like maybe there's a little bit of uh, pokey-jiggery you can do if you have a really, really nicely integrated um, ad spot that's fluent with the show and, and speaks to what mm-hmm. the show's about. Maybe it gets past it and it's not kind of picked up as much. Whereas if you're like sort of pausing, you're going like, here's our backing music for our read. Here's like this and that, whatever. We're just going to talk about three different products in a row. It's probably going to pick up those a lot better. They've uh, have been asked in this article as if podcast creators need to sign any agreement with Audio to be on the uh, t- on the platform and have their ads stripped. And the spokesman for Audio said, our app is really just acting as a smart recorder and allows users to automatically skip commercial breaks on supported shows. Because of that distinction and that we don't technically alter the episode in any way, we don't necessarily need an agreement to proceed. Yeah, this is sort of the murky where we all think we're growing up as an industry. This is where podcasting is quite, um, yeah, I guess quite unregulated. We have an agreement with Omni to host uh, all of our podcasts. So obviously we have an agreement with Omni and we have an agreement to put our content up there. And there's certain things like if there's something that's really red hot, we have to pull it down. Mm. And then we pass on, reciprocate those agreements with anyone we work with. So if you sign um, a deal with us, yeah, part of that is a, a morality clause that we can pull down your podcast. But there's also like uh, one particular part is we need to be able to modify the podcast. And this this has to this freaks a few people out. So we have an explanation when we pass on the agreement because almost every person goes, what do you mean? Yeah. So basically it says we can modify the podcast. And from a creator's point of view, you're going, wait, does that mean you can go and edit my show and change it? And why would I allow you to do that? But what it is is actually dynamically inserting an ad is technically mm, yep. modification of the podcast because you're cutting it and then you're inserting an ad and then you're stitching it back together. So we have those agreements, but I don't think the average podcast has got that agreement when you just sign up with an Acast or uh, Anchor or whatever platform or Podbean, you're probably skipping through that. But there is probably some sort of user agreement there. But on the flip side, if I'm using 
an app for my podcasting, there's no deal in place there as a user. You download it from your app store and you subscribe to an RSS feed and away we go. So the end consumer doesn't actually really have any agreement there no, with definitely. the podcaster. You're just pushing it out with the RSS feed and away it goes and it can be exploited, cut up, do everything. I mean, we talked about those aggregation fast cut podcasts of Andrew Huberman, Joe Rogan, people like that. I mm-hmm. mean, there is no... Yeah, there is no real copyright in this situation. You put it out to the universe. You're going to get aggregated. Yeah, and as a consumer... If you're lucky. If you're lucky. Yeah, if you're lucky. As a consumer, you know, I pay whatever I pay these days for Spotify. I'm getting all the ad reads. I might say, look, I primarily use this for podcasting. Is it worth me paying a subscription service to have ad-free music when I'm getting ads on podcasts, right? So they might say, cool, I'd rather pay the $5 and have my podcast without ads. The Joe Blow consumer would assume that everything's above board and everything's beneficial for everyone, like the creators are going to get a slice of this pie as well, Um, whereas that doesn't seem to be the case at the moment. Um, They've also said, because of how our technology works, it doesn't result in less revenue for podcasters any more than someone manually skipping an ad, which to my knowledge doesn't negatively affect revenue per episode today. So that is just to say that, you know, are, are creators losing out? They say no. Um, but they are saying that what they're going to do is look to partner with creators in the future um, and offer a more attractive revenue per listen per episode kind of model. So maybe down the track, creators might actually get something from this. For the moment, they are not. Mm, it's this morally gray area, a bit like VPNs and um, ad blockers where you just go, oh, look, the technology exists, you can do it. Yeah, um, and I see why people do it and I've got a VPN and we advertise with VPN companies yeah. one of the pictures is security for a VPN but the other is access content that you don't have a copyright <laughs> yeah, exactly right um, and, th- and that's the ad so uh, <laughs> yeah it's an interesting world we live in at this moment Well, look, we touched on um, on growth in the industry a little bit earlier as well. I think um, this article did come up. It was a bit of research that's come in through uh, Pod News. The big kind of story was just about how much the UK and Australia is lagging behind the US in terms of um, advertising p- potential, really. The US podcasting advertising market is estimated to be $1.8 billion compared to just $60 million in the UK and $50 million for both Canada and Australia. And then little old New Zealand over there is making $2 million. Okay, so how does that work um, on a per capita basis? They said, okay, so the weekly podcast audience in the UK um, is $14 million. So relative to the US, that's 16% of the size of the US market, which is $89 million. Through this number, they estimate that the market should be worth $279 million in the UK, right? Um, but it actually right. is only 62%. So that means it's the UK market's only achieving 22% of its potential. 22%. Yeah. So similarly, if you run down the line of the other ones mentioned, Australia is only achieving 38% of its potential um, compared to the US. Canada is 32%, New Zealand 7%. So... Look, it was a bit, I think it was kind of phrased as a bit like, oh, no, maybe we're lacking. Maybe this isn't going so good. That sort of, you know, more fear-based type thing. But oh, really? ever the optimist, I look at this much more as like, hey, there's plenty of room to grow here. <laughs> oh, this is the potential. I think we just have a different, I mean, UK and, and Australia definitely have a different radio situation. UK in particular has a very different radio station. BBC mm-hmm. really dominating yep. to a large degree. 
But yeah, we, I mean, as in most things in Australia, we've got these bloody duopolies, don't we? Certainly right, Stocks. Uh, Coles and Woolies are the ARNSCAs of the world, and maybe they're going to merge and uh, fuck it all up for themselves. <laughs> um, who, who knows? Let's see. The, I'm, I'm in the same camp as you. Immature market, which is probably in its early teens, and we want to take it into its you know adulthood quickly and um, all make lots of money and all do really well doing something we love. Let's do it. Let's bloody do it. <laughs> Jeez, I mean, this is a segue then. From talking about growth and you know the risks associated with it, we've talked about Pushkin a few times and just some troubles that they've been having and, and layoffs. I mean, it's, it's been some rough news coming out of their camp on what was a very promising start to that business, um, one would think. Now, one of their ex-employees, Mia LaBelle, has published an article um, on Freelance Cafe, Substack. Yeah, Substack article. Yeah about why she left the company. Tell me more, Jules. Tell me more. All righty. So, essentially, who is is Mia? She was one of the original four um, of Pushkin Industries. Um, those four included Malcolm Gladwell, Jacob Weisberg, and Heather Fane. And what was her role? She was the lead of podcast content and production. So, no slouch. Yeah, she's not the founder, but she's right there, and that's a big role. Absolutely. And, and just to give this a bit of further context, like she d- does have equity in the business as well. So, the decision Ooh. to leave is, is a big one. And, and yeah, I think it sort of speaks well. a lot to her view i suppose as a as a creator okay interesting basically just to kind of gloss over this and it's well worth a read for anyone who's interested um we can put the link in the show notes but when when she started they had the four of those people who were involved in the kind of creation and and vision of this company and they they had backer from vc companies now the vc side of things was all done through malcolm and and jacob it was all very much lunches and and late night meetings and that sort of thing so they they started out building around the the revisionist history podcast right which is yeah like one of the which, most successful podcast of all time that's right which was really surprising to me i mean it's a great show but i just didn't realize it had that kind of reach yeah so it seems like that was the the um hey look at how good malcolm gladwell's podcasting and i i it was always there when he read his audio books it was just it was one of the great audio audiobook experiences really yeah so his his revisionist history was for me appointment viewing uh when it came out so I guess the VCs must have sniffed around this and gone, hey, let's scale this baby. Yeah, absolutely. Whereas, you know, Mia's understanding was more that this was about a goal of building a small independent production company which specializes in high-end, smart and funny content with a strong point of view. That, that makes so much sense. Yeah. I mean, that's like, you know, that's what it sh- this Pushkin should have been is let's, let's use Malcolm, let's, let's use that as our North Star and let's create stuff that's within that remit. Yeah, and I think they did that initially, you know, they had a, a suite of shows um, that were developed in-house and produced in-house. Um, and they had some successes, and I think then you know the word from the top would have come down, and it said, "Let's how do we scale production now?" And you know, it's caused a lot of restructuring that had to happen. A bunch of people taking on a whole lot more responsibility that weren't necessarily keen to do that. Um, so it had mixed success with the people that they had, but they continued to grow. And she said they eventually kind of found their feet and developed six uh, unique production departments across audiobooks and marketing development business and, and other kind of various support stuff like HR and things like that. Now, they got through COVID um, unscathed and she said the, the pivotal moment for her really came post-COVID and this isn't like, you know, a big COVID-related thing but it was just to say after that they'd grown to a team of about 60. I can't believe they had 60 people. Like, yeah. sorry, that's insane. It's huge. For the content they're putting out. Yeah. Um, and they decided to celebrate 
by having a bit of a, a retreat, a post-COVID retreat. So everyone was flown in around the, from around the country from their various locations. It was a big kind of celebration of, of how great everything had been going. She was invited to give a, a speech on the first night. So she talked about the history of the company and, and indoctrinated everyone who was kind of, you know, maybe a bit newer to the business about the law and culture of the company and, and you know, her view was very much while they'd grown, they were still small enough to know each other and, and share a collective vision. So she really kind of felt like it was a band of people who were together on this. They wanted to create tremendous stuff. They wanted to take the time to do it, really make good quality content, potentially at a cost, right? Night two, the business team got up and gave their vision, which was very much more of a theme of growth and let's just go for more of everything yeah um so a bit of a friction around the production team knowing what their shows cost off the back of that um and the the business is demanding more and more so i think that there was a bit of feedback it sounds like at that event and they sort of said you know that the management said well nothing's set in stone yet but when they got back to the offices it was very much like all right let's let's pump this how do we make everything every show more profitable what can we cut out what shortcuts can we take all of this sort of thing yeah right this just looks like classic vc behavior right yeah this is confirming everything we've seen from the outside just because someone can give you wants to give you money doesn't mean you take it mm. uh would have seen revisionist history and gone shit we could scale this out it's malcolm gladwell's a genius how do we scale it out podcasts are growing let's go let's go it's ticking all these boxes and look i love malcolm gladwell uh mia sounds like a great content producer but i don't think either of those people sound like they're business people at all and then on the flip side, you've got these people coming in with the money, looking, managing a business through a spreadsheet, going, how can we scale this, but not understanding anything about the production and actually the content, not really understanding the content yeah. and not understanding the magic of what Malcolm Gladwell is. And to go, I'm going to scale, I'm, let's, let's scale Malcolm Gladwell. It's just not understanding how you scale a business. I mean, talked earlier about how Zanon and I have backed off on being very hands-on development of shows. And that's tough for us because we love developing shows, but you've got to trust your team and let them do that. Yeah. I mean, I often hear one, episode of a new show before it goes out and then from then on i'm hearing the show same time as the listener is yeah. out there you're not getting anything earlier and that's just you've got to scale out and that's the way you kind of got to do it so i guess it sounds like naivety on both sides of um, malcolm gladwell's an artist essentially he's yeah. a brilliant writer and he's been turned into a puppy mill and that's not never going to work and then the guys on the other side are pushing for how do we scale this we're going to get more business more shows more this not understanding that the the secret juice here is is a malcolm gladwell type meticulously producing shows when he's got the inspiration and you can't say hey malcolm we need four of these yeah, each year yeah. i gotta say i've stopped listening to revisionist history um i've still get his audio books when they come out and i found they've been uh, consistently worse and worse in mm. terms of his bomber mafia was not on the level of a blink or uh, outliers but also look i mean those are two iconic books and yeah. to be able to say that you can just keep turning it out and that's he's um, not able to turn out the same quality now it's not necessarily an indictment of the business um it's just also an indictment of you you're not a hit machine forever in this space yeah well not to channel kendall roy too much you can't have an illmatic every time that's right <laughs> so i mean if this is a Volta moment, it's getting gutted. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's very interesting. It's, very, it's really sad. Um, it just sounds like it's sort of a lack of understanding of the two sides of the business. Um, yeah. And it's a lesson for all of us. So, yeah, well, as I said, we'll put that link in the in the show notes. It's, it's worth a read for anyone who's interested in the, uh, in, in the industry and certainly from a, a content creator's point of view, um, it's very much structured. So it'll be interesting to see if there is any other kind of response to this sort of a article. 
Yeah, all right. Well, that's a somber note to get out there. <laughs> quite, quite salacious as well. I did enjoy that. All right. Well, I enjoyed seeing you again, Stocks, as always. And I enjoy always. listening to the finished product that Mandy produces. So thanks for doing that, Mandy. Yeah, Mandy. Easy edit today. And um, go the Roosters. Oh, go sorry. The roosters. Go Roosters. <laughs> <laughs>